So here I am with a deluxe edition for my third episode of the JBM cast. As a special feature this month, I have the pleasure of bringing you a recording of an interview with London-based photographer Oscar May. You'll no doubt remember that the story I read in episode one was a collaborative piece inspired by an image supplied by Oscar, inspired in turn by a theme given by the Treacle Well, an indie online literary journal. Now, I threatened back then to try and catch up with Oscar to chat about his work and, what a gent, he happily came to Brixton a few weeks back, tempted by the spicy offerings of my kitchen, to talk with tea and give a scratch behind the ear of Ollie the dog. But before all that, you'll be wondering why I've not been in touch yet this month. I've been busy. Since we last spoke here, I've been visiting family in Budapest and Inverness, sound from these places you've heard already, and I've read from the differing style masters D.H. Lawrence, his time shifts expertly showing small life struggling on desperately by, and Henry James depicting high society sidelining, marginalising the growth of love. And I've returned to the poetry of Liz Berry and Sharon Olds, who toy with language in the face of days that would crush the likes of me. And I've been listening to Mac DeMarco, to Homeshake, to Animal Collective and of course to Radiohead, to Beach House and to Cigarettes After Sex. And with all of this, I've come back to my work and asked, does this grapple with the world? Am I cutting corners? Is this real enough to be real? True enough to be true? And observations don't only come from music and literature and other arts. Like a typical Brit, I turn to nature and to the weather. The light this autumn has been fantastic. There have been afternoons where the sun sets so low and bright, my shadows face me on a wall opposite, 20 metres away. It set all the nervous restaurants in London waiting for their evening trade ablaze. Empty 4pm windows display gleaming cutlery and show red sun caught in wine glasses. Rays bend and reflect until the horizon sends in the night. In the day... The blank skies drop a cold temperature from their blue depths. Near the sun, azure, light and crisp, towards the east as the day shortens, deep and frozen, that same ice blue which gives way to stars. Even in London, they pierce the night here and there with distant continuity. We've had fog and mist thick enough for the dog to run ahead and disappear into, thick enough for thoughts to run ahead and disappear into, thick enough to bend thoughts to the supernatural, to the strange and the mysterious. Like many people, I was looking forward to an astronomical event that would lend to all this mysteriousness. In mid-November, a supermoon, a full moon occurring whilst nearest to Earth in its elliptical orbit, this time drawing closer than in seven decades, was to rise and wow. Naturally, in London it was cloudy and the moon couldn't be seen. But in the highlands of Scotland, access to nature is simple, and on a short break from the capital, I could try to recapture those thoughts that had gone straying into the London fog and then bring the landscape to bear upon me. On the shores of Loch Morlick I walked, watching the quiet pines watch me pass, peering between their tall, thin trunks for any movement, listening out for the calls of birds but hearing nothing other than the soft lap of gentle waves against the coarse sand seeing nothing but the huge sky heavy with clouds brushing against the round shoulders of the Cairngorms, feeling only the cold on my cheeks as the wind from the water going through me, blowing back towards the south, blowing back towards the south, blowing back towards the south, blowing back towards the south.
<laughs> Do you think it'll pick up the snoring dog? I don't think it'll be disturbing. I think it'll be disturbing. Ollie, where are the night? Have some tea. Have some tea. Cheers. Joining me in my kitchen in Brixton is my fabulous nephew and also fabulous fashion photographer, portrait artist, and um, general all-round nice guy, Oscar. Uh, popping in for a cup of tea and a stir-fry. And you also might hear, amongst the sirens and the usual Brixton sounds, my sleeping dog, Ollie, the French bulldog, who's pretending to be asleep and making a few noises. Anyway, hello, Oscar. Hello. Hi. Um, thanks for joining us. So, Oscar is, as I say, my nephew. It's a difficult introduction. A member of the family who's uh, also uh, some, an artist in his own right, because that's what you are in my eyes, someone who's um, followed his heart into his work and managed to make it a, a major part of his life. But before I, I, I give too many spoilers, how about you tell listeners what it is you're up to and, and what it is you do? Okay, well, I am a photographer, as James says. Most, yeah, I mostly do portraits and events and uh, occasional bit of fashion as well and weddings also kind of uh, are a big part of my work at the moment yeah they come over the, come across the horizon sometimes yes but i think um portraits are probably my favorite thing to do right um that's been my kind of ongoing fascination in photography for most of the time i've been doing photography so the ongoing passion yes okay yeah. cool um, and you've been going for how many years now? I would say I've been doing photography for 12 years. 12 years? Yeah. And for a young man who's not quite made it into his 30s yet, that's quite quite a long time. And you've been pursuing it professionally for that, that whole time? Um, I would, that was when I... 12 years is kind of since I first picked up the camera and yeah. was trying to do photography in an artistic way. Right. But... Um, Doing it professionally since 2009, which is seven years. Right, okay. Excellent. And you say 12 years since you picked up the camera, but that's not the first time you picked up a camera. Oh, no. Yeah, that's not entirely the truth. Well, yeah, uh, I I can tell listeners uh, from an uncle's perspective that I remember Oscar as a very small boy uh, inspecting very well what probably now seem very retro cameras of the 90s. And, and just being fascinated with them as a, as a sort of object. But never really... I don't think you ever treated them as a toy as such. Um, no, yeah. I definitely didn't treat them as a toy. Because I remember this one time when I was on holiday, um, my brother and I had the same camera. Right. Well, we wasn't the same one, but two ones the same. Mm-hmm. And he was just kind of throwing it around and like managed to break it. And I was really angry at him because I was like, it's not a toy. <laughs> You've got to be careful of these things, and he just didn't understand. And... This is the, the big the big brother yeah. coming out of you. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Well, he was probably even even smaller, so we'll, yeah. we'll let him get away with yeah. that. He, he might, he he might listen. He's making noises. And... He's always making noises. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he's a musician, so... Oh, that's true. No, well, now he's a... Well, he's a, his aim. He's a bona fide grown-up himself, <laughs> so he's got his own creative outlet, which, yes, we'll hopefully one day get him on here as well, and we can talk... And he'll get get his own back with a story about you being, you know, boisterous and <laughs> spoiling his fun by taking his camera away. But yeah, I, I do remember you as, as a kid with with a camera, and I remember 
you're always taking pictures and having a sort of eye for it. Mm. And people talk about this, if you've got a good eye or, or you need a good eye to be able to take a good photo. And it's funny these days, obviously, technology has changed and everyone, or virtually everyone's got a, a camera, a pretty mm. good one, on their phone, on their smartphone. And the culture is to upload pretty much whatever is in front of you to Instagram or to Twitter mm. or to whatever. Uh, I need to pose this question correctly. Do you think this um, the the amount of cameras available to everybody detracts from those people who are seriously pursuing photography as a sort of um, art form? Or do you think it, it should be open to everybody? That's a really interesting one because it's quite hard to tell. But it definitely seems like, as a photographer, there's a lot more competition now for jobs and just being able to get noticed because there is just so many yeah so much photography or just photos and snapshots uploaded online that you need to really cut through the yeah cut through that and get noticed somehow and it's, it def- definitely does make it tricky but there's although the quality of the cameras is uh, is much better than it used to be yeah still people manage to take bad photos yes yeah. good quality bad photos good quality but, bad photos but it has opened up to a lot loads of people who actually found that they are good at taking pictures and yeah, sure. for it. So. And they might not have realised Yeah, that. so I think yeah. it's, it's good in that way. But um, as a photographer, it has made it trickier. Maybe but it, I think it pushes me to try harder and yeah. get noticed and learn things that won't... A camera and a phone can't yeah, do. Like, yeah. good lighting has to be thought about outside of the camera and yeah. with extra lights or knowing how to pose someone right in front of the the good light rather than just snapping yeah a sort of spontaneous yeah thing i suppose as well as the, the the rise of the camera phone although the technology there has improved probably the the quality of the professionals camera has improved as well oh, yeah, so definitely. i imagine there's a there's a, still a, a difference between yeah there's definitely still a gap between the quality which is yeah which i'm glad about really so t- talking about that, having an eye for a, for a picture, did you did you notice that you had this ability, or is that something you cultivated because you were enjoying um, using cameras? I think I did notice at some point, but I remember my mum was telling me that I think it was at my sister's christening. Right. They gave me a camera to walk around with, and I took some pictures, and then they got the photos back, and they're really amazed that. They actually came out okay, right. and I was getting good reactions out of people I was taking the pictures of. And they thought it must be just because I was young, and everyone was like, "Oh, look, it's a little boy with the camera." Let's yeah, pose yeah, right. nicely for him. But um, I think that definitely was part of the case. But I guess maybe I did. I was thinking about composition even at that point. Yeah, making sure that I got everything in the frame. Yes, and I think that always just felt like a natural thing to do. Right for me. Oh, good. But I guess not everyone has that sensibility. Carrying on, I think I was always thinking about the photo that I was taking, not just yeah. snapping. Yes. And then I think I did realise that I liked composition, but maybe not particularly, not specifically for cameras, but just yeah. when I was trying to be arty. Yeah. I wonder if thoughts just occurred. I wonder if when you, know, you were using the older cameras obviously there would have been film mm. so you would have been a bit more 
um, you wouldn't well you wouldn't have been so trigger happy perhaps because mm. oh, yeah. you would have had a limited amount of pictures yeah. to use so I wonder if that made you think a bit more carefully about yeah, pressing the, mm. the, the button um, yeah, whereas today obviously well actually this is an interesting question to ask a, a pro I, th- I think because the, the file size of a, of a picture taken on a on a, a very powerful digital SLR today how big in terms of memory is one photo and do you still have a, a sort of limit on your kind of film in advanced commas mm. or can you can you pretty much take limitless so it, yeah with my camera one file is about 40 megabytes yeah which adds up pretty quickly but i do have plenty of memory cards so i think i at one any one time i probably have at least 256 gigabytes worth of memory in okay. my pocket and ready pro- to yeah sure put in so the you're cameras. never gonna run out i'm not gonna run out because yeah. I, I always when i first started wedding photography I got to the point where I'd run out and I'd have to kind of run off and upload onto my laptop but it was very unprofessional to do that so yeah, yeah of course um, now stocked up with stocked up and that was a long time ago that happened but well I guess you would have had they would have been smaller in memory capacity. yeah they were yeah memory's getting cheaper and cheaper so it doesn't make sense to limit and um and I have a few hard drives um at home to I'll back up everything to yeah um so I don't think there's really a limit on how much how many photos I take I'm not just snap happy I try and think about each photo that I take and yeah I usually would then take a couple more just to yeah. make sure I haven't got someone blinking or yeah of course something like that but yeah okay and um, just uh for the the listeners who are interested in the technical specs mm. you're you're using what camera have you got and and which lenses do you I have a Canon 5D Mark IV, right? And I my favourite lenses are the 85 millimeter prime lens, the 50 millimeter, which are both f 1.2, and then probably my other favourite one at the moment is the 100 mil macro lens. Right, macro. So that's for like close. Yeah, not necessarily, but I do use it for that. But also I use it for portraits, which. Well, it's very nice, very fine detail, but yeah. maybe oh, too yeah. much detail sometimes. Yeah, well, sometimes, <laughs> yeah. Well, that brings brings us to a good good thing to talk about with uh, photography. I guess the 90s when, and perhaps the, the 80s as well were quite famous for airbrushing and mm. post-production, and a lot of uh, people could have been airbrushed completely out of a photograph, or um, indeed models could have been made thinner, mm. or, and there were a lot of uh, issues that came come mm. with that. How much do you do personally uh, in terms of post-production and how, how much do you sort of limit or how can you limit yourself or if you should limit yourself? Mm. Well, when I first started, when I was studying at um, A-level, I, in my art lessons I used to do almost completely photoshopped images so I would actually start with just stock images I find online and try and put them together to make a bigger image. Right. And then I was getting a bit frustrated not having the right images to work from, so I thought, why not take them myself? That'd yeah. Make much more sense. Yeah. Especially as I was starting photography A-level at the same time, so yeah. I thought that would make much more sense. Yeah, sure. Um, so I began by doing that, and then as time went on and I learned more about photography, I did less and less of the Photoshop stuff and tried to get it more in camera, and I still to this day kind of learning how to get better result in camera so I can avoid 
yeah. doing the work, work afterwards because although I think I'm I'm quite good at Photoshop and I can make things look okay. Yeah. It's just a much better result if you can get it in camera. Yeah. There are a couple of things that you can't really get in camera. Okay. Like colour. Yeah. That kind of thing. When, when you say in camera, just to sort of put that into really basic terms, how, how do you mean just sort of playing with uh, depth of field and focus mm. or are you talking with light and shutter speed and that? It's a bit of everything. I definitely think... Uh, the depth of field and the the focus is essential to get that right in camera because it yeah. just it looks pretty crap if you try and fix it afterwards. Yeah, and you need to spend a very long time to make that look okay. Yeah, sure. But if you get it right in camera, it can look great. Yeah, and then you save yourself a lot yeah. of time. Yeah, right. And then composition is always much better to get it right in camera because you can't really easily change things around afterwards. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. So you. In a way, learning post productions kind of taught you what not to yeah. to do. In a, yeah. in a sense, it's taught you to to spend a bit more time planning when yeah. you're behind the camera rather than yeah. relying on. It's the... definitely taught me what things I can think that I could fix afterwards. Yeah. Okay. There's not many of those things actually. Yeah. No, that's that's great. Um, and you said that you studied uh, at A level photography. Mm. Uh, how about you talk a bit about? Your, your sort of pursuit academically of, of photography? So I did um, arts and photography A-levels, amongst others, mm-hmm. and then I chose to carry on to study them at uni. But first I went to study foundation art course in Farnham. Right. Because um, at that point I wasn't quite sure if I was going to do photography or maybe graphic design, which is another thing yeah. that I'm really interested in. Yeah. But quite quickly I realised that photography was for me. Yeah. And so... I kind of was very fascinated at that point. That was when I started getting more fascinated in portrait work and people. Yes. Because um, that's actually something I found the most difficult when I began. Right. Was taking pictures of people and making it work. And yeah. So that it had a likeness to the person I was photographing. Because actually, it wasn't as straightforward as I always thought it should be. Yeah, okay. At that point, uh, when I was doing my foundation, I knew that I wanted to do a degree that had something to do with photographing people. Right. But most of the courses that I could find were just general photography, and I yeah. kind of knew that wasn't what wasn't I wanted, what to, wanted do. to do. Yeah, okay. So I found that uh, London College of Fashion has started a, a couple of years before I started a fashion photography course. Yeah. And I thought that's probably the most suitable one for yeah. me. Yeah, okay. So I applied, and I think it's quite a competitive one because it's only fashion photography course degree course in the world at that point. Right, well. Well, that's what they told us anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So um, there was def- I think it's definitely quite hard to get in, but luckily I did manage it somehow. Yeah, that's great. And um, so I started there in 2006. Okay. Right, so that's your 10-year ten, ten anniversary of starting at it uh, is, yeah. the College of Fashion. Yeah. Well, happy anniversary. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> quite crazy, actually, you can pass that. Yeah, well, it's because time that long goes again. very fast, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's true. So um, I suppose uh, the uni experience, you get not just um, the kind of professional tuition about mm. uh, photography, which you were already engaged with, yeah. but you have a kind of peer process where mm. you meet other people who are interested in the same thing, and this starts you on a journey of, of not only um, a kind of a friendly criticism of other people's work and receiving the same kind of constructed yeah. criticism. And the reason I, I say this is because I can kind of relate having studied creative writing where uh, the format is 
very much workshop based and then you have sort of theory and analysis kind of on the side but the great the greatest part of it was to um meet with other writers mm. to yeah who not only you know understand what you're into but also believe in themselves and in the possibility of, of mm. pursuing it as a kind of you know a realistic um way of life rather than just before you go to a creative writing group you think i'm going to be a writer and then you then you're suddenly terrified of, yeah. of, of, of even having the thought but um how about uh talking about other other photographers you you met or how other photographers work has inspired your own work okay <laughs> yeah, sorry, I sort of threw that at you. Uh, well, it's, uh, I suppose uh, in in uh, not just in the the realms of of the, of yeah. the course, but also like uh, photographers you mm. came across, whose work you came across yeah. at uni. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, it's interesting about my course is that not many of the photographers that I met there have actually gone on to continue with photography, which is a shame. But right. there, there are a few ones who are really good who yeah. have kept on which is reassuring but I did meet some other photographers at that during my university days as well who have continued to yeah to work and inspire me as well that's good so it has been definitely like where I made friendships like that yeah and do you think um, being in London because I know you grew up on the Isle of Wight and moving to London must have seemed like quite a big move to come to the yeah to come to the capital uh, do you think being in the cities had a big impact on your your development and your work mm. or, or do you think it's um, I mean in terms of networking I imagine it's a benefit being oh, here. yeah you have to be in London really for that for networking and I think most of my work opportunities will be in London yeah yeah it definitely has influenced how I work but I definitely still I think I draw a lot of inspiration from my upbringing in the Isle of Wight and I always like to work outdoors in, the, yeah. in nature and so uh, I think it's definitely had a big part of shaping how... Yeah, certainly. I mean, I know uh, the Isle of Wight's famous for its music festivals and um, I know you've had a few gigs being contracted to take pictures at festivals. Mm. Um, yeah, there's been fun gigs for yeah. me. Yeah, absolutely. So what's that What's that like being... Um, like the first time you're given a, a sort of press pass and you go backstage and you're snapping away? How yeah, I couldn't believe my luck, actually, I think. Because I've always... Because of the Isle of Wight festivals, I've been to festivals every year since I was about 12 I think yeah excellent and um to be involved at another kind of level not just attending but yeah to get to see behind the scenes was really cool yeah so I really enjoyed that gig especially and then to be able to continue doing more was was good fun yeah great and I suppose the um if you're interested as you say in taking the images of people then um you get you get a complete diversity mm. of, of, of people at yeah. festivals like demographics of a well I suppose <laughs> there's there's jokes about Glastonbury being really kind of white middle class but even within that in the British music festival scene there's, there's a huge attendance and oh yeah you can see all sorts of people yeah and I think for a lot of people it's, it's like their only holiday in one year and they they go there and they go crazy yeah and it's so interesting to see and I think I was quite lucky that the job that sent me to the festival was photographing the people yeah. there rather than the, the acts. Because yeah. I like photographing music acts, but to photograph the people was really something a bit different, I thought, and gave me the opportunity to observe and right. kind of get involved. So you take more, more candid photos rather yeah. than um, sort of posed. Yeah, I, d- I took a mixture for my client, but 
Yeah. My favourite were the Candish ones. Yeah. And uh, have you got any funny stories about festival craziness? Oh, I might have one. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's so many, but the one that really sticks in my mind was at Reading 2011, I think. Right. I was there with my friend Felix, who was also photographing for Festival Annual, who was a client. Right. And we were, I think we were a bit competitive because we were trying to get the better kind of one up yeah. and the pictures, get the craziest photos. Right. And um, so I was walking around and I went to see some of my friends who were also there and they're camping with some Scottish guys. Right. And um, I was telling them what I was up to and they were, they all thought it was quite interesting, but one of them was really keen to get in the book. Yeah. So he was asking me, like, what can I do to actually... <laughs> be in the book I don't want to like have a chance of being a book I want to definitely be in it it, so I told him that you have to do something really crazy to (laughs) actually have a guaranteed spot in the book yeah so he was trying to think of something to do and I think one of my other friends suggested why don't you dive in that river of mud because about a week before the festival started yeah the whole site had flooded, so okay. there's yeah, massive, like, so muddy, everywhere's so muddy, there's, the there's this actually actual river of mud in between <laughs> the main path and the tents. Literally a river of mud. Literally a river of mud. <laughs> and it was full of all, all sorts of stuff, I don't know, oh, yeah. I don't like to think Grizzly of stuff. Yeah, so anyway, he said that he'll do that if I get him a towel. So okay. I went off to find him a towel, and I managed to find a stool where they're selling camping goods, and I found a towel. So about an hour later, I went back to him, <laughs> and he kind of saw me, and he kind of he realised that his time come, his time had come, and he was going to get muddy. So I mean, the towels for, so he can go and have a shower afterwards. Yeah, so. yeah, sure. Um, so we all kind of paraded him down to the river of mud. Yeah, and my friend was shouting to like, "Come and watch a drunk Scottish man <laughs> fly into the river of mud," and like, and managed to get. A really good crowd surrounding us, and everyone was like, jump, jump, jump. I think there must be about 100 people. Yeah. And um, I've got a picture of the kind of the crowd surrounding him somewhere. So in the end, he did a running belly flop into the river of mud. Into the river of mud. And I took the picture of him (laughs) midair in the mud, and then standing up again, and then doing a flip back into the mud. And yeah, yeah, it was was a very memorable moment. Genius. And he made it into the book? He did make it into the book. Oh, excellent. I was hoping he'd make a front cover, but... <laughs> Drunk Scotsman on the front cover yeah. of the annual. That sounds like a team. Flying Scotsman. <laughs> I see what you did there. Cool. Oh, well, we'll have to um, arrange for a picture, that picture to be... Uh, so I'll try and get a link somewhere for people to come and have a look. Well, so that's... that's I suppose that's a bit of everything there, because you've got the, the, the guiding the, the subjects... The subject's own kind of stagemanship coming into it, the competitive rivalry with the with Phoenix, your, your friend who was there, <laughs> and then um, just the the sort of atmosphere and the opportunities of, of the festival and the spontaneity of it all it must have been quite a cool cool moment. Mm. Um, but how about um, at the top you were talking about portraiture being your your favourite? Um, how about we talk about that a bit and say uh, you said you mentioned another thing about how capturing someone's likeness was the hard part of portraiture because although you've got a, a photograph of them it's clearly them uh, I suppose if you're working with a subject who you know quite well mm. and for some reason their personality doesn't show yeah. through the picture how do you um, how do you go about solving that problem of, of uh, I mean is it is it because 
for instance, they're not calm in front of the camera because I know having a lens mm. pointed at you can make you quite nervous. How do you go about capturing somebody's essence, their personality, when you when you portrait? Yeah, that's, it's very true that when when I put my camera up into someone's face, <laughs> yeah. they kind of lose their not they lose their confidence, but they they kind of the look changes. Like when yeah. it's not like you're just standing in front of them anymore. You kind of put the camera there's there something and between yeah and they kind, kind of, of they, they kind of think about how they look and then it changes and so it's quite it comes interesting comes self-conscious yeah. self-aware yeah. yeah and you can kind of see that in the photo so I think I need to I always try and relax them as much as I can before and just yeah kind of tell them there's no pressure and try and feel as calm as they can but um yeah obviously that's not gonna really solve the problem straight no. away yeah so I, I will I think I'll just start taking pictures and make sure that they're in a pose that they feel comfortable with. Right. And if they don't feel comfortable doing anything, then yeah. I will kind of guide them into something that I think would, would suit them. Suit them. Uh, and maybe I'll show them as well, like me doing it. So yeah, okay, so you sit down I mean. and yeah. whatever, yeah. yeah. And then I'll... But I, won't, I don't want them to be rigid like that, so I'll yeah. kind of then say, just move how you feel comfortable and... Yeah. I'll tell you if it looks weird or something, so don't Fine. don't you worry about that. Yeah, um, I see. Yeah, and 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 do you think portrait traditionally, to my mind, is um, it's a still of someone, isn't it? Mm. How about can you capture movement uh, in a portrait, or or do you focus really on representing that person's character? I think you could definitely do something with movement as well. Yeah, in a still, you could have a motion blur of some sort but I think you'd have to be careful with that that you could still see the person yeah. clearly or right. clear enough to know who it was yeah yeah okay. um, but you could I think I've seen some nice video portraits of people as well which should oh, that's interesting uh, yeah so you, I think it's, ni- it's nice in a way because you get to hear them speaking maybe or yeah. just see them doing things but it has, usually you'd have to be something doing something that that's yeah. what they're known for what they're right doing. I see things that they like I've not heard of video portraits yet um, how long does a typical video portrait last is it like a gif length because uh, you see a lot of gifs don't maybe you? about probably the ones I've seen about 30 seconds oh, that's quite long yeah. I've seen a really long one once but it was I think it was done in the 80s in New York and there's a I can't remember who it was that conducted but it was just a guy kind of sat looking at the camera right. for, so it's been around for a long time then. Yeah, since the yeah people have been playing with the idea, but I yeah. think that stills portraits are probably definitely still the main thing. Yeah, okay, that's that's cool. I'll have to do some research into mm. that. Yeah, I'll have to find out who that yeah. original one yeah. that I saw was by. So that's the first time I've even considered it as yeah. a thing. Sure, oh, well, we'll follow up. And uh, whilst we're on... Uh, the subject of uh, sort of I don't know pioneers and and people who've inspired you. Have you got any favourite photographers that people can kind of have a look at their work if they've not heard of them before? Yeah, so um, he's my favourite. Well, the pioneers. When I think of pioneers, yeah, it made me think of a photographer called Julia Margaret Cameron, who was around in the Victorian times. Okay, she is one who started it. I think she was like forty-seven when she started. Okay. And she, I think she was quite from quite a wealthy family and she, her husband used to travel for work so she'd be left alone actually yeah. on the Isle of Wight. Okay. Which is a really cool yeah. bit of history for yeah, the yeah. islands. But um, I don't think she came from there. I think she was born she, in there. She ended there. She ended, ended up there. She ended up there but she was actually born in India. She started photography at that quite late age but she didn't really want, I, I don't think she 
was aiming to do it as a profession. It was more of an yeah. artistic venture. Yeah. But she moved in some quite famous circles, like Lord Tennyson was in right. one of her pals. And yeah. So she used to make these like, kind of scenes, like Shakespearean scenes with like, local kids and yeah. some of her friends. And But they, she didn't usually have that really still... Like, she didn't want that serious Victorian... Yeah, kind of like portraits, so yeah. so, still in Richard. So, yeah. um, some of her photos were slightly blurry, but like technically not perfect. Yeah, but had really nice lighting, and the effects that happened from that was just photos that are actually full of feeling and yeah, emotion, which was really so she broke it, sort of broke for, away yeah. from the yeah those rigid portraits, yeah. which were just to show a likeness. Yeah, and, I and think, she brought sort of emotion into mm-hmm. the frame and. And I think probably her photographing quite famous people as well yeah. really kind of brought that to the masses and yeah. she pioneered kind of the direction of portraits went, which right. was really interesting. And then a few other ones that are more recent yeah. would be Gregory Prudson. He's um, he's a fine art photographer, but he often has people in his photos. Yeah. But they're, they usually use like film lighting, so he'll shut down a whole street. Right, and they'll have kind of massive lighting, sort of floodlights, yeah, yeah floodlights, yeah. and everything's brought down to the smallest detail, and there'll be people in them, but they usually look kind of frozen in time, which is really interesting. Yeah. A lot of psychology goes into. I think he's the son of a psychologist, so okay, he really thinks about the emotion in the photo and the yeah. interactions between the, the characters or the character in the space. So that's it's taking very the composition to to the next step, yeah. Isn't it? so. But also the photos are beautiful, so yeah. that's definitely a good one to look at. One of my favourite portrait artists is Annie Leibovitz. She's just, like, the colours are amazing, the light's amazing, but she definitely has a very good connection with the sitter that she's photographing. Yeah. I've heard once that she tries to spend at least a day or maybe two days with the subject before she actually gets the camera out. Okay. So she can really make them feel at ease. And, yeah, so she builds up yeah. the chemistry and... Yeah. And, and like you were saying before about mm. having someone feeling at ease and more likely yeah. to see yeah. their true character coming yeah. through rather than uh, the sort of the face that they put on before the lens. Mm. Everyone's got, kind of got that little pose that they strike. Yeah. And the camera comes their way and it isn't yeah. necessarily a real reflection of, of who they are. Yeah, exactly. So I guess that's. So that's Annie Leibovitch. Yeah, it's good to know that that's uh, kind of what she does. So who else? Well, one of the ones I'm like I get inspired by people who are like around my age but are doing really well. Right. So one of them's my friend uh, Lara Jade. She's just like excelled. So like she thinks she's one of the best fashion photographers around. Really, excellent. But, um, it's really in- it's kind of encouraging to see that my friend's doing well. And yeah, it is great. Every time I meet her, she kind of feels inspired when I when I go home again. So. Yeah, no, that's great because I I uh, another thing that I can take back to my own experience as a writer is uh, although um, there is a huge uh, competition between to, between writers to mm. find agents and publishers there's yeah. always uh, uh, so many more writers but when you when a, f- a friend of yours does well or has something published that mm. they're proud of yeah. um, it's just such a great feeling to see them mm. succeed in that way yeah. and it does it does inspire it doesn't give you an ounce of jealousy I, no. think. I think it's really yeah I don't feel any jealousy at all no it's, it's just great to see people then breaking through and getting mm. their work out there yeah and it is it does make you think about your own work in a, in a yeah. positive way in an, an optimistic way yeah it does which is important sometimes yeah and then it kind of lets you know that it is possible to kind of get to 
where the, where someone is on the, in their career. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's great. So that's a few names for people to, to yeah. go and check out. Yeah, um, I'd recommend them all. Yeah, and, and going going on this uh, this sort of subject of friends. Uh, back on my first podcast, this is podcast number three now. Um, at the end of the the sort of show, I read a story um, called The Lost Tower, which, as I mentioned in the outro, uh, was a collaborative project which we worked on together. Mm, yes. um, and it came down from the the, the literary magazine online, uh, was the Treacle Well, mm. and they put a call out, which magazines tend to do sometimes, but they don't always. They were looking for work based on a theme, and this theme was um, Into the Woods, which could be interpreted any which way. They also welcomed photography or art to be submitted along with the, the, the prose piece. Uh, so I called the only photographer I knew, <laughs> and uh, you were really willing to get into it. And I, I just I didn't give you any work, because at that point I hadn't written anything. And I just um, gave you the theme, Into mm. the Woods. Yeah. And then you went off and took a photo and that photo you sent to me was the inspiration for the for the story. So, how many projects like that come your way, or and, and what can you sort of? Not enough, I would say. I really like collaborating with other creatives, but yeah. quite often it's it's just me and the client who usually has an idea of what they want. But it's right. like, rather than collaborating, they kind of say, "Give me a starting point and yeah, kind of send you on your way." Yeah, just come out of what I need. But so it's nice to work with yeah. actually like another medium of creativity so. yeah no it's good to cross genre yeah. like that it was the first time I worked with a writer yeah although someone did once write a poem about one of my photos oh, which that's is, nice it was really cool was that something that you orchestrated or did they just no, get in touch I, it was when I back when I used to use Flickr yeah um, which is a kind of photo sharing community of people yeah. who don't know yeah and probably the only other collaboration I've done with a writer right in a way but I have done a lot of collaborations with musicians and bands, which is that's right. a fun thing. Yeah, of course, because um, back when you just graduated from um, London College of Fashion, I happened to be in a band called Great Outdoors, and we were in, playing together in the noughties for about five years, and you were our sort of go-to band photographer for the whole time, and you yeah. got some great pictures of us at uh, various venues playing but also in recording sessions, mm. you'd be there yeah. uh, snapping away. One of those sessions, we went up to Wales. Uh, John Nathaniel Pike, who is now Tiny Leaves, uh, neoclassical, post-postmodern musician, he, uh, I can't remember if it was his uncle or a friend of the family, but he had think, access to it. I think it might have been his wife's. Yeah. I can't remember she, that, but it's a really cool place. Yeah, they, they had this cottage in the Black Mountains, uh, and we filled my brother's truck my brother will was the bass player of the band and he's also um a gardener landscaper in his uh, in his other life and um we emptied his truck of mowers and strimmers and filled it with drum kits and filled it with recording equipment and um took off to wales for the weekend and you came along and mm. took some really yeah, nice pictures you've done, you've worked with other musicians as well yeah yeah quite a lot of work with bands and musicians it's yeah. always i've always grown up in a quite a musical family so yeah, of course. it's really great to get involved with musicians I think. yeah well, it's like you said earlier about bringing your your genre of art into another and sort of mixing mm. them up and yeah and sort of seeing seeing what's possible and seeing what happens I know you've done some work with uh, video photography as well for museums yeah yeah I've done because um, cam- the cameras that I use I've started being able to do video as well 
has given me an opportunity to do yeah. work in video so I've, I've definitely given that a good go and I really yeah. do enjoy a good video project project now and then oh I'll bear that in mind for is. future farewell Carissa <laughs> projects <laughs> yeah I'd definitely be up for that so it's yeah. nice having a kind of different type of project and mm. get stuck into something which is, is there'll be a bit of a learning curve usually because yeah, I don't know everything about videography but there are enough of the principles are the same to photography that I can if I look up and learn about a certain method then I should be able to do, make something work. Yeah, excellent. Sorry, I, I, there. Yeah, there's, there's Ollie's now moved on to chewing his paws. You might have heard him snoo- sort of snoozing earlier, but he's uh, he's woken up a bit. It must be. It's a good thing when uh, when a challenge is brought into a project. Yeah, like that learning curve you're talking oh, yeah. about. Yeah, is is I, I always enjoy learning something new. So apply it to something I'm working on. That's really makes it a bit more yeah, a bit more added, interesting. That's added added element of interest for me. Yeah, but I think the good thing about working on music, doing videos, is um, that you can tell a story in a different way, and it's quite satisfying to for it when it comes together. Yeah, that collaborative element again comes in, I suppose. Yeah, um, especially storyboarding. <laughs> oh, you're so noisy. A very noisy dog. Even when he's quiet, he's yeah, very noisy. Yeah. Ollie the French bulldog. What a great guy. Well, anyway, uh, I guess, um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about or plug whilst we're... I, th- I think we've covered a lot. We've covered quite a bit, yeah. haven't we? All right. Well, in terms of um, sending listeners on uh, to be able to check out your work, where can they find you online? Or So, I have a website, which is www.oscarmay.com. Right. And then I also have a separate one for my wedding photography, which is www.the-occasion.co.uk. Right. And I also... The most uh, used social media for me is Instagram. Right. And that uh, you can find me on there with the handle at OscarMay underscore. Okay. Which is the same handle as I use for Twitter. Right. Which I don't really use as much, but I'm trying to get back into it at the moment. Yeah. But it's it's not as it doesn't feel as natural for me to use yeah. Twitter for some reason. Well, your your language is image, I yeah. suppose. So Instagram is where you're, yeah, you're exactly. spending yeah. most of your time. But if someone gives you a tweet, you're probably oh yeah, I will get back to them. I still have the notifications coming through. So yeah, sure. I do check my Twitter cool. quite probably about once a day. Oh uh, right, okay. So, so you're not you're not. I'm not completely dormant. But. <laughs> I am, I'm still there, but usually just as a silent observer. And then uh, Facebook's the other place that you can find me. Right. And I think the easiest way to find me on there is just to search Oscar May Photography. Right, okay. Great. Well, that's plenty of stuff for people to check out. Um, Meanwhile, thanks very much for coming and enduring the the dog and uh, having a nice meal. And um, it's been great fun. Great. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. One more cheers with the teas. Thanks for tuning in. The sounds you heard were recorded on location at Loch Morlick, Aviemore, and at Budapest, Hungary, and the intro groove was me playing electric guitar and keyboard. You also heard a little drop of me on a Steinway Grand. The interview with Oscar was recorded in Brixton. In case you're worried about the legal things, I've copyright and permission of all of the material used. The photographs Oscar mentioned are temporarily on my blog, where you can also read more about my work just go to jamesbrucemay.blogspot.co.uk. You can also have a look at my YouTube channel by visiting youtube.com forward slash cheapschmeep. If you'd like to get in touch about anything in the podcast or just to say hello, you can either click on the talk tab 
on my blog, give me a tweet to at James underscore Bruce underscore May or send an email to James underscore Bruce underscore May at hotmail.co.uk. I'll catch up with you next month. Meanwhile, happy holidays. Thank you.